Compassion Meditation Benefits How to Practice Self-Compassion Interview with Sarah Pettin Recently, a client told me that he's not able to let go of his critical mind and gets stuck on the self-deprecating thoughts. He finds it hard to enjoy life because, because of his past experiences and challenges. So we discussed a technique called self-compassion meditation and we discussed compassion meditation benefits. Would you like to learn how to practice self-compassion so you can also help yourself heal from your past and stop the torment of the self-criticism? Then you're in the right place. Our guest today, Sarah Patton, will share her story of how this technique of self-compassion helped her and many of her students. So stay tuned. You are watching Happy and Healthy Mind program, episode 105. And our guest today, Sarah Payton, is a trainer and a neuroscience educator. She's an author of Your Resonance Self book series from W.W. Norton. She teaches how to heal emotional trauma and make your brain a good place to live. And I'm your host, Dr. Rosina Lakani. I help compassionate high achievers achieve more earn more and make the impact they're meant to make without burnout and without losing their health or career. I'm an executive coach, a corporate speaker, and an integrative psychiatrist. I believe that your mind is a software that runs the hardware of both your brain and your body. Therefore, we teach practical tips for mental fitness here. If you need some specific medical advice, please consult your healthcare professional. But if you find this content helpful, then join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering and suicide by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can live and perform at their best with hope, health, and happiness. Mm. And let's learn from our guests now. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Lakhani. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. So uh, tell us, how did this topic become important in your life? Well, um, this topic uh, was, without me even knowing it, incredibly important in my life and led to the first 40 years of difficulty and suffering and divorce and and all of the kind of mysterious after effects of PTSD where I was like, how, why am I having PTSD my parents were such lovely, lovely people. What happened to me? And as I began to learn about the brain, I started to understand we inherit our brains from our parents. So if our parents lived through trauma and they didn't get to do any processing or healing of it, then they're giving us traumatic brain patterns as sort of the model that we're growing our brains into. So not only, it's sort of bad news in some ways. It's like, oh my goodness, I thought I had enough to deal with on my own, with my own trauma. You mean I have to work with my parents' trauma too? And, and the answer is yes, but it's, it's not that hard. It's very familiar to you. <laughs> You're already working with it every day. Why not make it better? <laughs> so that was your life before you started applying these tools. Yeah. How, did, how did life change? Life changed. Well, one of the things that happened for me was I kept reading about the benefits of meditation. I was, it was book after book I would read. I'd be like, oh, the benefits of meditation are so great. I should be meditating. And then I would try and I would sit down 
to meditate and it was like let loose the dogs of war they're just like the complete you know biting snapping tearing gouging voice within me would go to town and it would cover my whole life and it would also cover the idea that i wasn't doing meditation right <laughs> <laughs> so you actually had the the common mistake most meditators initially do they think that they're not doing it right right yeah and then you also had kind of a little negative experience initially with yeah. the meditation that makes yes. a lot of people stop doing it yes and so then what kind of helped you what helped me was one day i i became very interested in uh, the whole new world of relational neuroscience of how our brains affect each other because it started to answer so many questions for me. And I went into a college classroom where a woman named Body Badnock was teaching. And she said, we're going to do one breath. We're going to do a one breath meditation. And, and she said, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a self-lacerating, self-critical, self-deprecating voice, then don't worry, that's just natural. If you've lived through trauma, it's just a natural response that your brain is having. Don't worry about it. Just one breath of warmth for yourself. And she was just took us through one breath of warmth for ourselves. And, and I, I thought, oh, one breath. I can do one breath. And I started to do one breath every day. And then and then I got to being able to do two breaths. And then after like a year, I got to be able to do three breaths. It was quite a little growing building of neurons experience for me of beginning to find. It was so extraordinary. I was so surprised that I could even find anywhere that had warmth for myself because the internal voices were so cruel and mean mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so F, you've been doing it for some time. How's life different since you've been directed? So many things have changed. And now uh, I can meditate for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes I'll meditate for an hour. And, the, the, and when the voice comes, I'll talk about this if you'd like, but when the voice comes, I can respond to it and find the way that it's trying to love me. And um, and then uh, then I can continue my the the part of meditation that gives us so much benefit of just mm -hmm. being able to let everything go and mm -hmm. just be with ourselves as we are in this moment. Mm -hmm. How did it affect your like external life in terms of your ability to function in day to day life? How did that change? Well, many things changed. I became more present to my family. Mm -hmm. the 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 self esteem issues that I had disappeared. Mm -hmm. I began to to write, uh, <laughs> and I wrote I wrote this wonderful book, Your Resonant Self. And you have to write a book. And I was like, okay, I'll write a book. Mm -hmm. And I began to teach. And I began first to teach in the prison, in a women's prison. So I started, so I started teaching as well and uh, talking about the brain and the impacts of trauma on the brain and how to begin to meditatively return to our own selves and be with our young selves that experience trauma and how to kind of update our brains. I loved mm -hmm. it, Dr. Lakhani, when you said 
that our brains are the that are the software, our minds are the software that then program the hardware of our brains and our bodies. It was that's quite a lovely way of putting it. Wonderful. And yes, and I think that turning towards a meditative approach with warmth and self-compassion and specific skills and ways to address those mean voices that are within us just takes us in an entirely new update mm-hmm. of that software. Wonderful, wonderful. So we are going to learn how to update our software today. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure our audience would love to learn how. And and so we can't kind of, you already shared some of the benefits of this compassion meditation. So we are using like these two phrases, meditation, self-compassion, compassion meditation. So can you please clarify for our audience what is the difference between these different phrases? Yes. So uh, self-compassion, so compassion is a word that people use to, to, to define the generous and warm sense of care and understanding that we have for others. And self-compassion is turning a generous and kind understanding eye toward ourselves. And it makes, as we were mentioning, everything so much easier. It makes our health better. It makes our sleep better. It makes our working life easier. It makes, uh, it helps us find our passion and our purpose in the world. So it's got so many lovely benefits. And the meditation is part of the, what humans have discovered about precisely this, how do we, how do we make that software hardware link between mind and brain more effective? And so meditative practices are practices where we're, we're asking our brain to do specific things and to, to, to work in specific ways. The only problem with that is that it activates what's called the default mode network, the brain's automatic voice, which is a voice that's very stamped by trauma. Mm-hmm. So if you've lived through trauma, anybody who's lived through trauma before the age of nine, they blame themselves. That's what brains do. That's the automatic download mm-hmm. is, is to blame ourselves. Because if we blame ourselves, there's some hope of change. Whereas if we're like, oh my goodness, my parents are crazy, there's no hope of change. Mm-hmm. So, so we need to be able to have hope as humans and mm-hmm. blaming ourselves gives us hope. Mm-hmm. So meditation and self-compassion meditations are ways to really change the default mode network at its root, to really bring a focus right in there to the place where the trauma has affected us and to create change. Wonderful, wonderful. So let me summarize and kind of share my my viewpoint about these uh, phrases too. So I kind of consider meditation like converging of brain waves on one point. Like when we use the magnifying glass, converging all the light rays onto one point, it becomes much more powerful. Similarly, when our brain waves are all scattered all over, when we kind of bring the whole attention on one point, it becomes much more powerful. Now you can focus on anything, you know, you can focus on hopefully not negative things, but <laughs> but you can focus on your breath or you can focus on self-compassion or you can 
focus on thoughts for others. You, you can focus on anything, but meditation means bringing your whole attention to one point. And so when you are doing compassion meditation, you're bringing all your thoughts to that warm, kind, uh, caring perspective. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing the self-compassion, then you're bringing that warmth and kindness and caring towards yourself. Because like a lot of times uh, people tell me, you know, we use sometimes words and phrases to criticize ourselves. We would never use openly to others. But we are like so self-deprecating many times. Definitely people who get traumatized in their childhood, they do that. But I've also seen people who have not been traumatized sometimes have a very self-critical inner voice. So I think the, these techniques could really help anybody who, who is struggling with this inner critic. Yes. So... So yeah, our audience would love to learn some of the tools, how to practice the self-compassion in their lives. So can you share some tips and tools with us today? Yes. So the first tip is the one that I mentioned about just making it to start. Just make it one breath of self-warmth. Just one breath of the kind of focus that Dr. Lahani was sharing with us. And each different focus that you choose actually changes the outcome of the hours of meditation that you spend. So if you're focusing particularly on a flame or particularly on the breath, and you just keep bringing your attention back and back to that, you're kind of doing attention push-ups. You become better and better able to focus your attention. And if you're bringing your attention back to self-warmth and back to self-warmth, you're doing self-warmth push-ups, which activates instead of the left prefrontal cortex, activates the right prefrontal cortex. So it's like we can see on fMRIs that different parts of the brain are activated depending on what we focus on. Mm -hmm. If we know that we're coming from a trauma background, it's important to have some element of self-compassion meditation. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of actually walk us through? Because sometimes we tell people do this, but it doesn't make sense unless one practice can can we practice together yeah why don't you teach me let me okay. be your guinea pig okay so just allow yourself to to notice that you are a breathing being and to let yourself bring your attention towards your breath now if you have a trauma background this can be difficult because you start immediately to think about shame to think about not being good enough but in this case all we're going to do is be with the attention and the breath. And when your attention wanders to telling you that you're not good enough, just say, oh, thank you, attention. Thank you for trying to help me. And bring your sense back to a warmth for the self, a warmth for that little puppy-like attention that gets dragged everywhere <laughs> by, <laughs> by distractions, a warmth for your body, a warmth for your breathing. And just for one breath, see how that is. And I'll be quiet and let everybody do one breath. Now, if you've got a trauma background, that might be the nicest breath you ever took. <laughs> because we're starting to acknowledge that the, that the lacerating self-critical voice is actually trying to take care of us. And this is the second important thing for self-compassion meditation, is to begin to say, 
you know, the voice says, Sarah, you're stupid. And you say, oh, thank you, voice. <laughs> thank How you. Would you say thank you if somebody's calling you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for trying to make me better. They, do you get so worried, we can say to the voice, do you get so worried about me? And do you just become hopeless and despairing? And do you want to be able to spend this precious life in ways that you really enjoy? And do, do you just get frustrated with Sarah? Do you want something better for her? And then we see what that voice says. Oftentimes, that voice becomes sort of quiet and surprised inside of people when we begin to speak with it in this way. So you're actually suggesting that we talk aloud to ourselves? Or, well, it depends on what kind of an atmosphere you're meditating in. Sometimes <laughs> we're meditating on a bus. <laughs> People would think you're kind of talking to yourself. Yeah. Let me kind of paraphrase again what I understood. So when your voice, inner voice is saying, you're stupid, instead of saying, entertaining that thought as if it's the truth, right? you say, you know, thank you for the, for you watching out for me and yeah. you wanting me to feel better. Yeah. But this, the statement is not helping me feel better. Well, you don't even have to say the statement is not helping me feel better. You're just, you're just entering a kind of a friendly dialogue with the voice. So what would you say to the, this voice, you know, to say, Sarah, you're stupid. I'm not stupid. That would be our kind of initial, that would be that yeah. Or or you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. You know that might be one way sure. that we would respond to it. So um, then, what, but give us a specific say, phrase again. Yeah, the specific phrase would be, "Voice, do you get so frustrated with Sarah? Do you, are you just working as hard as you can to make her a better person? Then you stop and you listen for the response, and." Oftentimes, the voice actually goes quiet at this point. I have another little story that your audience might enjoy right here. And that's a, a live story about being with my mom. My mom grew up in the Depression, and she had very strong opinions about people having more weight on their body than just being really slender. She was very slender herself. And so she spent years telling me I was fat. And, and I spent years being devastated. And finally, one day, I, I went to see her and she said, you're fat. And I said, oh, mom, when you see me, do you get so worried about whether people will love me and be kind to me? And she said, yes. And she stopped. She didn't say anything about my body for a year and a half. It was quite extraordinary. After a year and a half, it wore off. I had to do it again, and then she was fine again. <laughs> <laughs> so your external voice, you yes. kind of were able to see it in action. Right, right. When um, instead of fighting it right. or joining it, right. yeah. you just are acknowledging the thought behind the thought. Yes. Acknowledging the behind the, the voice. Yeah, and acknowledging the heart behind the thought which mm -hmm. is quite an odd thing to do, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you don't, the, the requests that, mom, don't do that anymore. I tried that for years. It doesn't mm, work outside. It doesn't work inside. You're just listening for the message. Once the message is delivered, the voice calms down. Mm -hmm. It can take longer than 30 seconds. It can take, mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> a bit yeah, But it's a wonderful, longer. different way of approaching it. What's the harm? You know, either it would get better or it, it won't, but... You know, it's at least a different way of 
of trying it and you know there is a rationale behind it because now the voice is like you know instead of forcing its own way of trying to improve you so yeah i actually care about this person yeah. and that's why i'm trying to improve yeah all right so that's a wonderful tip any what other tips do you have for us well it's uh, something else that you came very close to saying that i just loved hearing from you which is that the the voices inside of our head are not truth they're trauma they're an expression of difficult moments that we've had to live through alone mm-hmm. rather than being you know the the god's truth delivered from on high sarah you're stupid it's not a truth it's an expression of trauma and self-blame mm-hmm. that we self-blame for very important reasons mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. self-blame out of love for our parents out of loyalty to them that we self-blame in order to make sense of difficult childhoods, that we self-blame in order to stay with our father who continues to blame himself. So there are so many ways in which our self-blame, difficult though it is to live with, is an expression of love. Mm -hmm. And as we begin to discover this, things loosen inside of us and knots Mm -hmm. are not tied so tightly. So the first tip that you said was talking back with your inner critics, acknowledging the care and concern behind the thought. Yeah, the first tip was just do one breath. Oh, first tip is one breath. One breath, yeah. And and give yourself that warmth. Yeah. And the second one is talking back with your voice, acknowledging the care and concern behind that that voice. And what's the third point? And the third point is to begin to notice the love behind the self-blame. People often think, everything is my fault. I need to take responsibility for everything. Other people cannot be trusted. I must do it all myself. And they think that, again, not because it's true, but because it's trauma. And so as they begin to discover the deep love that lies beneath that, then things begin to loosen. Wonderful, wonderful. Any other tips that you have before we wrap up today? I I just want to express gratitude to you for bringing this mission to the world and to helping people with the interface between mind and brain. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So what is your last take-home message you you would like our audience to do? Just remember, it's not truth, it's trauma. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And so um, if if people would like to learn more about your your work and your book, how can they reach you? At www.sarahpayton.com or if you'd like the guided meditations that take you through a whole, they're free at yourresonantself.com. You, but you'll be able to find them from going to sarahpayton.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. And like she said, she's graciously shared some of these free guided meditation that you guys can download and you can get them by going to our website, happyandhealthymind.com and click that resources button so you're able to download all the resources that our guests share with us. And then if you're in US and you'd like a text reminder or link for these resources, you can also text the word joyful J-O-Y-F-U-L to the number 38470. 
Again, the number is 38470, and then you text the word joyful. And I'd be happy to send you the link for the reminders and resources. All right, so let me leave you with this message today that, you know, self-compassion is an important part of our emotional health. It is something that everyone can benefit from. Self-compassion isn't about feeling sorry for ourselves or giving ourselves a free pass to life, but rather taking the time to show ourselves the kindness and understanding. It's about being able to forgive ourselves in our moment of weakness and acknowledging and celebrating our successes. Self-compassion isn't just about feeling good in the moment, it has this lasting benefits for our overall well-being. So if you're looking for the ways to boost your mental health, self-compassion might just be the answer. And Sarah shared several of the tips of dealing with this inner self-critic and calming that self-criticism so you could practice self-compassion. So what are you going to do today? Are you going, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Are you going to start practicing that one breath, self-compassion, or are you going to let this inner critic push you around all the time? So you have the choice. Choose wisely. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. Until next time, Dr. Rosina.